Thanks for listening to Summit PA Sermon Audio, weekly teaching from the Summit Church in Indiana, Pennsylvania. SummitPA.church, every life made different. We are continuing, actually finishing our series called Love Is Today. We started this, this is week five of the series, uh, but... Man, I've really enjoyed this series. It's been a good one. And uh, I want to encourage you, go back and get caught up if you've missed any part of it. You can listen uh, to the podcast on iTunes. You can uh, watch the videos on our website, whatever the case may be. But get caught up so you can have some of the context. Um, But we're walking through 1 Corinthians 13, verses 4 through 7. And this is an important passage because it's one a lot of us have heard before in regards to love. And you hear it a lot of times at weddings, but what we do, what we need to do is look at it in the proper context because this is written to a church that's in turmoil. It's written to a church, a group of people that really don't like each other very much. They're fighting, they're bickering over lots of really important issues, uh, things like race and things like socioeconomics and uh, spiritual gifts. All those things are important, but they shouldn't be dividing a church. And so uh, Paul's writing this letter to the Corinthian church, helping them, trying to help them cut through all that and, and grow up a little bit. And he's, he's talking about love. So he's talking about in the context of how we love each other in the church. Um, and this is what it says. Let me read this to you. It says in verse 4, Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It isn't irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, endures, uh, hopes all things, and endures all things. So what we see here, again, is a filter for us to be able to figure out how we love well. And Paul's trying to help this church that's very diverse work through their issues so they can love each other well. And the word love here is agape love. We've talked about this over the last few weeks. But agape love, is a, a, it's, it's a hard love because it doesn't come naturally. It's a love that we show and display for people that maybe disagree with us or are in opposition to us or don't like us very much or maybe that we're in conflict with. This is how we love those people. And it's difficult because we can't do it without the love of God flowing through us. See, God loves us with an agape love and he expects us to love others in the same way. And so what this is really about is us saying, God, I'm, I have a hard time loving people that way. Does anybody know somebody in your life that it's hard to love? Yes? Yeah, some of you are nudging your spouse. Stop that. Okay, quit. Um, but we all know people like that. And what Paul's saying is, don't just love the people who love you. Love the people who are in opposition to you. But you have to love them with an agape love. It's a difficult love. It's a hard love. And, and that's one of the things I, I love about our church. Because we're a pretty diverse church. Um, and, and I'm thankful for that because I think that reflects heaven. Um, heaven is not just for 30-year-old white people right? Uh, it's for people of all ages, all races, all ethnicities. It doesn't matter your socioeconomic background. It doesn't matter what your heritage is. Um, if you're a child of God, all that stuff goes away. And we are just citizens of heaven. Um, and so I love the fact that our church is diverse because it represents what heaven is going to look like, I believe. Um, and 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 the thing I love is that people can come in here, they look a little different, or maybe they act a little different, maybe they have some different values than we have, and we can love them anyway. Um, we don't need cookie-cutter people that all look the same and respond the same. How are you, brother? I'm good, brother. God bless you, brother. All right? Thank God we don't do that around here. <laughs> I would go crazy. And some of you would be offended because I'd say that from stage and be like, hey, so 
But we love people well around here, and I love that. And we're not where we need to be, but I want to show you a story uh, of a gentleman in our church um, named Mike, and I just want to share his story with you. And So take a look at the screens. Let's watch that together. Um, my name's uh, Mike Salida. Uh, my road name's Einstein. We're riding with Bikers for Christ. Uh, we go here to the Summit Church. And uh, I was raised in a home with a, a Christian mother and an alcoholic father. As a teenager, I began to drink heavy. I seen my dad abuse him, and I said, I'll never be like that, but I gravitated right toward it, uh, as well as my friends. And I went that route for a lot of years. I got saved in 1989, and uh, there was probably uh, there was a whole yard full of Harleys and we were all drinking and a pastor come by and and uh, told me about Jesus Christ and I uh, I said yeah man whatever see you later and he left but he had enough zeal to come back a week or two later and talk to me and my stepson and through that we got saved my whole family got saved and we started a journey with Jesus Christ never looked back I looked for different uh, bike groups, read everything about them online, and this one seemed right. So I, I went there and didn't realize until I pulled in, the guy that led me to the Lord 20 years previous, 25 years previous, was at that time the pastor of that church. So that confirmed to me that maybe this is where God wanted me and, and I fit in right from the very start. We're called out of the church, away from the sound of church bells is the way their motto is, be a rescue mission. Uh, yard from hell. We try to be uh, a Christian witness to all groups everywhere we can and uh, we have a, a loyalty, a love, a brotherhood together too with the common bond of Jesus Christ number one, number two, the motorcycles. We've seen people come to know the Lord through through time and I've met an amazing bunch of brothers and sisters through it all too that I love very much. I went on a, a journey th through many churches and I asked the Holy Spirit to guide me when I was at the right place and give me confirmation. And, and from that, this is where I ended up. One thing about the Summit Church, I felt very comfortable here. It doesn't matter what your lifestyle's been. It doesn't matter what you look like, how you dress. They want you to know Jesus Christ and, and they want to love you and be your friend. I love, I love that statement. It doesn't matter what your lifestyle has been. They want you to know Jesus Christ, and they want to love you and be your friend. And um, I just love that because if we're going to be totally honest, and I think Mike is here today, but if we're going to be totally honest, if you didn't know Mike and you didn't know his story and, uh, and you saw him walking down the street, there might be people even in this room that you would pull your kids a little closer to you, Right? you'd hold your purse a little tighter. Uh, but when you get to know Mike, you recognize the fact that this is a guy that just loves Jesus. He loves people. He wants to reach them for Christ. And, uh, and I love the fact that our church is the kind of church that when he walks in here, and, and we've got a couple of groups of Bikers for Christ that attend church here, but then they come to church, they don't feel like second-class citizens. They feel loved. They feel accepted. They feel like part of our family. And that is the way church should be. See, we shouldn't make people feel different because they look a little different because we are all one in the body of Christ. So thank you for loving people who uh, look a little different or uh, maybe act a little different or maybe they value things a little 
little differently than we do. That is okay. We want to love all people well. And this is why Paul was writing to the Corinthian churches. He's trying to help them see it doesn't matter. None of that stuff matters. What matters is Jesus. That's what really matters. So let's put the petty junk aside and work through the things that matter. And that's why he's writing this about love in 1 Corinthians 13. And so we're going we're gonna to finish up the series with verse 7. We covered the first half of it last week. We'll finish that up today. So in verse 7 of 1 Corinthians 13, it says, Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Now in the month of January, I covered the topic of hope in our series, Thriving in Babylon. And so if you missed that, you can go back. We spent a lot of time there. I won't spend as much time today covering that. Um, but the Greek word here for hope is elpizo. And elpizo means to wait for salvation with joy and full confidence. Now, uh, I don't know about you, but if, if you've ever been in a desperate situation, uh, you've ever been in a situation where you felt overwhelmed, uh, it's difficult to wait for God to show up, uh, period, right? Let alone with joy and full confidence. Because I've been in some desperate situations. And, and I want God to move now, right? Like, you, God, I know you've got timing. I need your timing to line up with my timing, right? I got bills due, God. Um, I need an answer to this prayer right now. And, and I didn't wait always with full joy or full assurance that he was gonna move. Sometimes I was wondering. And the picture I kind of got when I was reading this was... Um, I, when I was a kid, I used to be terrified of, uh, I used to have this irrational fear of floating out to sea. So like when I was a little kid, I remember as a little kid playing on a beach, which was actually at a lake, by the way, um, and I had the little ring and I was floating and I thought, I don't think my mom sees me. Like, I don't think she recognizes I'm floating away. And so, you know, who knows how far I actually was from the shore, but I felt like I was a mile away and I thought, I'm gonna float away and they're never gonna know that I was gone, right? They're gonna just, huh, we, didn't we have another child earlier today? And I'm, oh well, all right. And, and couple that with my irrational fear of sharks because I had a cousin that let me watch Jaws with him way too early in age, and, uh, and it scarred me. So I didn't even want to get in the bathtub for a while after that because who knows, right? Like the deep end of the tub, maybe, who knows? So I had this irrational fear, and, and when I read this verse, I have this picture in my mind of me in the middle of an ocean by myself. And there's nothing, not a human to be seen as far as the eye can see. There's not a boat, there's not land, nothing. Just open ocean. And, and I can imagine being in a situation like that with my set of irrational fears and thinking, who's going to come save me? Is anybody going to notice that I'm gone? Does anybody know where I'm at? And you couple that with my my. Uh, my fear of jaws, and, and what if the sharks show up, right? Can you imagine being in a situation like that, thinking, I've been forgotten out here? Now, shift that and apply this standard to it and say that, that love hopes all things, right? It, it doesn't just hope, but it, it waits for salvation with joy and full confidence. I cannot imagine being stranded in the ocean, being full of joy and confidence. Can you? No, but this is, what, this is what Scripture calls us to, being full of joy and confidence. God, do you even know where I'm at? 
some of you are in a situation like that. You feel isolated, you feel alone, you, you feel like you've been forgotten about, and you're going, God, do you even know where I'm at? Do you even see where I am? Do you even, do you even know? Because you're not coming to the rescue if you don't even see where I am. And this is where, where true hope steps in. Because see, hope isn't a wish. Because um, wishes, they're flimsy, right? It's birthday candles, that's that kind of thing. That's not what hope is. Hope is not a wish. Hope is a, a secure belief that God is who he says he is and will do what he says he'll do. Um, so we can have full confidence in God because we know God. And he's never failed us before and he's never gonna fail us. Um, just as sure as we are of the fact that one plus one equals two, that's how sure we can be of the fact that God is gonna show up, that God is gonna rescue us, that his salvation is on its way if we will just trust him. But the problem is uh, we undermine our own hope because the thoughts we invite in our lives. So um, maybe you're in a difficult marriage and you say something like, well, um, I, th- I think, I hope God can help us, but I just don't even know if he can save our marriage. And what we're really saying is, my marriage is hopeless, and maybe God can pull one out at the last second. Maybe, right? But that's not biblical hope. Biblical hope says, you know what, I see the circumstance, and I I know that we fight regularly, and I see what our finances look like, but you know what, God brought us together, and so I have hope that God's gonna restore this thing. And hope isn't a wish. Hope is knowing, right? Full confidence that salvation is on his way. So you go, you know what? I know it looks a little bit desperate, but I'm not worried because I have hope in God. I know who God is, that he's a miracle-working God. And I know he can rescue us. And I know he can put this back together. So I'm not even gonna worry about it. In fact, I, I, can, I, can, I can hope in full joy. I can have joy because I know what God's gonna do. And that seems so foreign to us to think like that and believe like that. Um, the... The Hebrew word for hope is closely aligned with the Greek word, and, and it has very much the same meaning. It's kavah, but it means very much the same thing until you get a little deeper. And when you get a little deeper, kavah means to collect or bind together. And I love this because what it's saying is uh, that our hope, what it begins to do is bind us and bring us together. And, and I think one of the reasons our nation is so divided um, between uh, the political parties and races and all these kind of things is that as a people in the United States, we have put our hope in so many different things. We hope in political systems and parties. We hope in uh, polit- figures and public figures and ideologies and all these things. And, and that is, to put it bluntly, hopeless. There is no hope in any of that. And, and we've split our hope in so many directions But what if we begin to hope in the same direction? What if we begin to put our hope in God together? What begins to happen is God brings us together. He gathers us together. He he joins us together in hope. See, one of the things that binds a church like ours together uh, is that we hope in the same direction. We say, hey, you, you, you might be a little older and I might be a little younger. And you, you might prefer hymns, and I prefer more contemporary worship. Um, you, you might be one race, and I'm another. But guess what? We're going to hope in the same direction together. Our hope is in Jesus Christ. So in spite of the, our differences, uh, our hope is going to unite us. It's going to bind us together. And that's what Kavah does. It binds us together in our hope, in God, 
for our situation. So when, when we look at this situation and recognize that the church was broken and dysfunctional and fighting and falling apart over stupid things, what Paul was trying to say is, no, 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 love, um, agape love causes us to hope in all things. So in spite of what we see going on around us, when we are bound together in hope, when we hope in the same direction, there's unity. When we put our hope in God, we can endure suffering. We can walk through difficulties with joy and full confidence that God is going to work a miracle, that God's going to do what he says he'll do. See, we wait for salvation with full confidence. So no matter if you're in that situation where you're floating out at sea by yourself and the sharks are circling, Maybe you feel that way in some situations in your life. You feel a little bit hopeless. You can have full hope knowing that God is who he says he is and that God will do what he says he'll do. Tell him I can't talk right now. I'm in the middle of something important. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, second part of verse seven says, uh, it says, love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, love endures all things. I love this word endures here. The, the Greek word for endures is um, hupo, <laughs> hupomeno. Um, sorry. Is my phone on silent? Yes, it is. Okay, just making sure. Hupomeno is the Greek word here for endures. And endures, uh, this Greek word is two words put together. So it's hupo is one word, and it means by or under. And then meno is this great Greek word. It means abides. Um, and so when you put them together, uh, they don't literally mean abide under. There's a, an element of that, but that's not what it means when they're conjoined together. What it means is to endure, bear bravely and calmly, especially in the face of ill treatment. Um, I don't know about you. I can endure a lot of things when things are good. Does that make sense? Um, if I'm going for a walk, Man, I can walk a long way. But if you want me to run up a hill, not as far, right? Do you know why? Because it's easy to endure less resistance. When there's no resistance, man, I can, go, I can go for days, right? You want me to walk downhill? Absolutely, I can do that as far as the hill goes down, right? But when there's resistance, it makes it hard to endure. When there's conflict in our life, when there's pressure and opposition in our life, endurance is hard. So when things are good in our life, it's easy to endure, isn't it? When the bank account is fat, when the marriage is good, when your kids are, are angelic and godly, when everything is going your way, it's easy to endure. But how many of you know life doesn't normally go like that? There's usually opposition. And so what Paul's trying to tell the church is um, when there's opposition, when things are going against you, you have to endure, you have to bear bravely and calmly in the face of ill treatment. When people are opposed to you and they're trashing you and they're talking about you on Facebook, you know what you do? You get on Facebook and you trash them back. No, 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 you don't do that. Some of you are gonna take that out of the message and you'll be like, Pastor Mel said, that's not what I'm saying. You know what it says? You endure Ill treatment, you stand in the face of that. You, you don't strike back, but you bear bravely and calmly in the face of ill treatment. It says we hold fast under misfortunes and trials. Hold fast, what do we hold fast to? Does anybody know? Well, we hold fast to God. He's the only thing we can hold fast to, right? That, that's it. 
Everything else in our world is, is changing. But God and God alone, we hold fast to him. And when things are difficult, when things are challenging, when opposition comes our way, what do we do? We hold fast. We say, God, I'm not letting go of you. I have this, this image in my mind. Have you ever seen a child latch onto somebody's leg and then they take a step and they drag the child with them? You know what I mean? They drag, they drag. That, that's what we do. We go, God, I don't care where you go. I'm not letting go of you. And that's what he's calling us to do. That's what it looks like for us. It's the, the hoopo minnow. Under misfortunes and trials, we hold fast. Um, the second part of that word I love, it's abide. Um, and if you look at the word abide, um, it, it means to remain or be held or kept continually without end. Uh, so it's interesting because hupomeno means that we hold fast but if you break it down and talk about abide, just the word meno, what it means is to be held or kept continually. So the, the, the beautiful thing about this is that in one sense, that in order to endure, we hold on to God with our kung fu death grip, right? We aren't letting go for anything, no matter what. We are hanging on to God. But the beautiful thing about this is we're not just hanging on to God while he's dragging us along. See, he holds us tight and he keeps us. So when things are, are dicey in our lives, when things seem challenging, when there's opposition, when, when things aren't going the way we'd like them to go, what happens is we cling tightly to God, but then he scoops us up like a father would a child and he holds tight to us. He won't let us go. There was a, a movie a few years ago um, about the tsunami that hit Southeast Asia. And uh, the movie was about these parents that were on vacation with their kids and um, their kids are swept off in the storm. This wave, this tidal wave sweeps in. And um, there's these images of parents who have their kids and they're holding their kids and the, the current is too strong and it sweeps their kids out of their arms. And as a parent, that would be a nightmare. And I'd love to believe that I would be able to hold my children. They couldn't get escaped from, there'd be no getting away from me, no matter how strong the current is. But the truth is, sometimes the current's too strong. But this is what I know about our Heavenly Father. There is never a current in our life that's too strong to sweep us out of his arms. He will hold us tighter than we can possibly imagine. And the moment that you think God has forgotten about you and let go of you is the moment God is holding on to you tightest. When we hold on to him and he holds on to us, we can endure anything. There is not a wave in this world that can sweep us out of his arms. We can endure anything. So how do we endure? Well, we endure by holding tightly to God and allowing him or inviting him to hold tightly to us. We're being held. Um, I love this passage in John chapter 15 says this, says, and this is Jesus talking. He says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Now, some, some of us, we read this verse and we're like, yes, I've been waiting for a verse like that, right? All right, this is the good stuff now, finally. Ask whatever you wish and it'll be done for you. Okay, here we go. You've already got your wish list made out, don't you? 
Um, and, and sometimes we look at it that way. We put too much emphasis on the second part of that verse. But what Jesus is saying is, if you abide in me, so remember, if you are held tightly in me and, and my words are held tightly and closely in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Um, but, but this is the really important thing to remember. When we pursue God, in relationship with him. And, and we fall desperately, passionately in love with Jesus Christ, the beautiful Christ who gives his life for us. And we recognize who he is and what he's done for us. And we abide in Jesus, right? When we press in and we're held tightly into him and we hear his words and we hold them tightly in our hearts, what happens is we begin to change. See, some people that come to church, they feel like they've gotta change themselves. They've gotta go, okay, um, I've got to fix it. If, if Jesus is going to love me, I've got to fix myself. I've got to stop doing this and this and this and this and this. And, and then God will love me. But we've got this all wrong. If, if we will pursue God and love God with every bit of our being, all those things will change. So we try to change ourselves to make us more appealing to God. And God's going, no, 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 no. I love you. Let me do the work, right? And so... Um, so what we just need to do is abide in him. We press in to him. We, we take his words and they abide in us and then things begin to change. Um, one of the things that changes is our values. So some of the things we used to pray about, we're not gonna pray about them anymore as we grow in Christ because we realize that they were probably selfish prayers. Um, Maybe I don't need a speedboat as bad as I used to think I did. So I would pray for a speedboat, but now I recognize if I got a speedboat, I'd just never go to church again. So God's probably not going to give me a speedboat, right? So instead of praying about things like that, material things, we recognize the fact that, man, you know what, now I'm, I'm, I'm praying for my neighbor who doesn't go to church and doesn't know God. Do you know why? Because our values shift. We begin to have the values of God. We begin to love the things that God loves. We begin to, to look for the things that God looks for. And so Jesus can say with full confidence, yes, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Do you know why? Because when we do those things, we're gonna begin to love the things that God loves. And when the things we ask for are gonna be the things that God would ask for, Jesus would ask for anyway. So we're gonna begin to pray for things like, God, let me have influence in my community so I can share your word. God, give me influence with my neighbors so that I can, I can witness to them and share how good you are. God, give us the nations. Lord, we don't wanna just have a good church. We wanna have a church that impacts the globe for your glory. So God, give us the nations. That's what we're gonna begin to pray. So Jesus goes, yeah, I can promise you this. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you want. You got it, right? Because he knows it's a win-win for him. So if we look at the first part, he says, if if you abide in me and my words abide in you, and if you look at the phrase there, the, my words, um, it's a Greek word, it's rhema, and rhema means the spoken word. So when Jesus says, if you will abide in me, if you'll stay or remain held tightly in me, and my words, my spoken words, what I've said over you, remain in you, um, it's important. Because I don't know if you know this, words have value and meaning. Uh, and if you don't believe me, I want you to think back to some of the life-giving words that have been spoken to you and some of the hurtful, painful words that have been given to you. It may have been a boss or a coach or a parent or a sibling or a spouse. They spoke life over you. 
And maybe those very same people spoke death over you as well. They said, you're a failure, you'll never succeed, you'll never amount to anything, you're ugly, you're fat, you're stupid. And those words are just words, but we hide them in our souls. And we begin to resemble the words that have been spoken over us. Um, so words have value and words have meaning. And, um, you know, I've got a, um, in my desk, in my office, I've got uh, some drawers on the left-hand side. And the bottom drawer, just so you know, if you're ever in my office, the bottom drawer has snacks, good stuff, okay? Uh, but the next drawer up has some cards in there, and it's full. And it's full of cards uh, from people that, have, it's full of cards that I've received since I've been here. From, typically from people in our church that have written me a card just to say thank you or hey, I appreciate what you've done or whatever it is, happy birthday, pastor appreciation, all those kind of things. And, and I've saved those cards and when I'm having a bad day, when things are, are not going like I'd like, when there's challenges or opposition, whatever it might be, sometimes I'll pull out some of those cards and I'll begin to read through them. Because what I see around me are the circumstances, but what I see written down is what people identify in me. Does that make sense? So what they're saying is no matter what's going on, this is what I see. This is what I feel. Uh, a few weeks ago, I was gone at the beginning of the series, actually, and um, we were down in Dallas for a retreat, um, and the person who headed up that retreat was the guy who's going to be with us Wednesday night, Jim Hennessy, and he's a really important person in my life. I love him dearly. And, and uh, all the people that went to the retreat, he gave them a notebook and um, as a journal. And I don't journal and so when I got it, have you ever gotten a gift that you're like, all right, I know I'll never use that. And that was kind of how I felt about it. When I got it, I was like, oh, great, a journal, awesome. I've been wanting to not journal. That's perfect, right? <laughs> um, so I got it, and I was like, okay, good. And then, well, Kim can use the journal because she journals or whatever. And um, when we got back to the room, I realized that there was, there was, it wasn't just a blank journal. If you just thumb through it, it looks like a blank journal. But on the first page, Jim had written a note to me. And so when I read the note, uh, in that hotel room, I just cried. Shocker, right? You're surprised that I cried. And so I cried when I read the note, and I read it to my wife, and that was just a few weeks ago, but I've pulled this journal out a few times and read the words in it, too, you know, just what he said about me. Because what he says in this note, it's powerful, because what he's saying is, um, he's talking about his affection for me, how he feels about me, what he thinks about me. He's talking about how I've impacted his life, how, uh, how I've benefited him, how I've helped him. He's talking about the future he sees for me. He's talking about the, his prayers for me. He's talking about the future he sees for our church, what he believes about me. Uh, and so when I read this, it's life-giving, it's affirming. And so when Jesus says, abide in me and let my words abide in you, what he's really saying is, don't forget what I've spoken over you. I've spoken something powerful over you. Don't, don't lay aside the journal and forget about what I think about you. See, when we open the word of God up, what it is, it's not a history book. It's not a, a book of fairy tales and myths. What it is, is, is God's written word to us telling us what he thinks about us. It's talking about his affection for us. Did you know <laughs> The word of God tells us he can't get you off his mind. That his thoughts about you are, are more numerous than the grains of sand on a beach. That's how much God thinks about you. Did, did you know the word of God says that you've got a future and a hope? 
that he believes in you? That Jesus made the statement that, that he is in heaven making intercession on your behalf? He's praying for you right now. See, when we remind ourselves of that, we remind ourselves and we abide in him and we let those words abide in us, it brings life. It makes it possible for us to endure all things. See, when our circumstance around us seems to be crashing or to, crashing down and the world seems to be falling apart and our life just seems to be a train wreck and full of drama and there's conflict and opposition and all these things, how do we endure? We endure by abiding in Christ and letting his words abide in us and give us life. And we go, you know what? I know what the circumstances say. I know what people have said. But you know what Jesus says about me? I know who I am in Christ. And I can endure all things because of that. If, if you look at this passage in 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7, this is my application point for you. This is what I want you to do. This week, I want you to ex do this exercise. Because for me, if I meet somebody, I'll meet them. And, hey, how are you? Nice to meet you. I'm Mel. Nice to meet you. Well, tell me about yourself, Mel, and you know what I'll do. I'll go, well, um, you know, I'm married. I've got a beautiful wife. I've been married 17 years. Um, I've got two girls. They're awesome, 14 and 11, great girls. Um, I pastor a wonderful church uh, in Indiana, Pennsylvania. Nobody knows where that's at. They think it's in Indiana or Pennsylvania or maybe in between Indiana and Pennsylvania. But in that brief moment, what I do is I identify myself four ways. I'm Mel. I'm a husband. I'm a father. I'm a pastor, right? Let's, let's take a second. Let's... Let's take the word love out of this passage and let's put in the word pastor, for instance. So it says, pastors are patient and kind. Pastors do not envy or boast. They're not arrogant or rude. They don't insist on their own way. They're not irritable or resentful. Pastors don't rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoice with the truth. Pastors bear all things, believe all things, hope all things, endure all things. We could agree to that, right? That's what pastors should be. That's what pastors should do. We can agree. Do the same thing with the other two, uh, with a husband and father. We could plug those in and we'd agree. Husbands should love that way, right? Fathers should love that way. And for you, maybe it's wife or mother, whatever it is. But you plug that in and we, we can agree. But the challenging part is when I plug my name in. And I say, Mel is patient and kind. Mel does not envy or boast. Oh, that wasn't arrogant or rude. And I don't have to read very far down this list before I realize that it's not 100% true. It might be partly true. It might be true some of the time, but it's definitely not true 100% of the time. And so I can read this with my name plugged in and I'm convicted. I feel like that is not who I am. See, Scripture talks about us being sanctified, that we are perfected in Christ, uh, that we'll never be perfect, but God, God's desire for us is to be matured. So I could be condemned when I read this and go, I'm not those things most of the time. And it's true. But I think just like we abide in Christ and his words abide in us, I think this is something we can look at almost prophetically when we plug our name in. And we can say, Bell is patient and kind. Not because it's 100% true of me, but because when God looks at me, this is who he sees. That Mel is patient and kind. Mel doesn't envy or boast. He's not arrogant or rude. He doesn't insist on his own way. 
He's not irritable or resentful. He doesn't rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Mel bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. See, I, I know the truth. I know who I am. I see what's in my heart. But God sees me, and he sees the righteousness of Jesus. And so when he looks at me, he sees me as these things. And so what I think God wants us to do is take this passage of Scripture and apply it to our lives and say, you know what, I'm not those things all the time. But God sees me as those things, so I'm going to endure, and I'm going to press forward, and I'm going to believe, and I'm going to hope that God is going to perfect me, that God's going to mature me, that God is going to help me love the way he wants me to love. So we've been saying this over the last few weeks, agape love is hard. It's the love we have for people that are hard to love. And this is the way God loved us. We were enemies to the cross. We were enemies of Christ, and he sent Jesus to die for us anyway. That's agape love. How do we love that way? We abide in him, and his words abide in us. And that's what we do. So I challenge you this week, I want you to take this passage, 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7, and I want you to plug your name in, and I want you to just believe that and and meditate on that and let that impact you because I really believe that's who you are. That's who God desires for you to be. Let's pray together. God, I love you so much. I'm so thankful for your amazing, unending, perpetual love for us. God, I thank you that um, you never stop pursuing us. You never stop chasing us down. God, your love for us and a love that we don't deserve, we haven't earned it. God, you love us anyway. God, I pray today, Lord, we would love the same way. Lord, not just the people that are easy to love, the people that love us, but God, even our enemies, even the people who are opposed to us, even the people who trash us, God, let us love them well. God, I pray that you would let the Holy Spirit make that happen in our lives because we cannot do it on our own. God, I pray for people who are here today that they're having a difficult time hoping all things. God, they're having a hard time believing and enduring all things. So God, I'm asking today, the Lord, you would give them endurance. Give them hope. Help them see the fruit of hope in their lives, God, as they deal with suffering well. God, minister in our hearts. Change us. Sanctify us more into your image. With your head bowed and your eyes closed, I just want to ask you if you're here today. You said, Mel, you know what? I'm not really a Christian. I'm not really walking with Jesus. I don't really know the love you're talking about because I've never really experienced it before. I can't love the way you're talking because I've never experienced that love, but I want to today. I'm not going to make you come forward or I don't want to embarrass you. I just want to pray with you right where you are. So if you're here today, you say, Mel, I want to experience what you're talking about. I want, to, I want to know Jesus the way you're talking about. I want to abide in him. Maybe you made a decision to follow Christ a long time ago and walked away from it. Maybe you never have. But I just want to ask if you're here today and you want to make a decision to follow Jesus or you want to rededicate your life to him, would you be bold enough to slip your hand up real high where I can see it? And I'll acknowledge it. You can put it right back down. Thanks. Over here on my left. Awesome. Who else? Over here on my right. Thanks, sir. Two hands over here on my right. Three. Thank you. Thank you very much here in the center section. Up top, a couple hands. Thank you. Who else? Just a few more seconds. Anyone else? Say, that's me. Pray for me, Mel. I want to make Jesus Lord of my life today. Thank you. On my far right, I see you over there. Praise God. Praise the Lord. 
I want every person in this place, whether you raised your hand or not, just to say a really simple prayer after me. Say this prayer out loud. Say, dear Jesus, thank you for loving me, even when I didn't deserve it. Take my life and use it for your glory. Help me to love like you, even when it's hard, even when it's difficult. Thank you for saving me and paying the price for my sins on the cross. Today, I am yours. Today, you are mine. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, let's give God a round of applause today. Listen, if you prayed that prayer, we want you to do something really simple for us. We want you to take the next step, and we want you to take a step of faith uh, to grow in your walk with Christ. And the way you can do that, one of the ways is by taking this card out and seat back in front of you. On one side it says need prayer. On the other side it says salvation. Please fill out the side that says salvation. Let us know about your decision today and simply drop it in one of our offering boxes as you leave. Let us know about what God's doing in your life. We wanna help you take the next step in your faith journey. Uh, it's so important that, uh, that you don't just walk out of here. We wanna help you uh, in your next step. So let us know about that so we can do that. If you're watching online or maybe you're here in the room and, and you'd rather not fill out the card, a really simple step you can take is to take out your cell phone or your mobile device and text the word salvation to the number 555-888. When you do that, we're gonna respond back to you. We're gonna help resource you, get you connected in a relationship so that you can grow in your faith and become everything that God dreamed for you to be. We want you to abide in him and his words to abide in you. And the way that happens is for us to begin to grow in our faith. And we wanna help you do that. So let us know, let us help you do that. Here's what's gonna happen right now. The worship team is gonna lead us in one final song. We're gonna worship together as we are. Uh, our prayer team is gonna be available on either side of the stage. And we would love for you to step out from your seat as we begin to sing. Find one of our prayer team members. Let them agree with you about whatever's going on in your life. Because we serve a big God who answers big prayers. So we're gonna agree with you that God's gonna do something big in your life. Uh, maybe you're, you feel like you have the sharks circling around you right now and you need some hope. They're gonna pray with you. <clears throat> Excuse me that God's gonna show up, that your salvation is on the way. So find one of them, let them agree with you in prayer. Then in just a moment when we're done singing, uh, Steph is gonna come, <clears throat> excuse me, she's our missions director. She'll close us out and dismiss us. So why don't you stand to your feet all over the room. We'll worship together one more time before we go. Guys, I tell you this often, but I hope you know, I love you more than you know. I'm so honored that I get to be your pastor. God bless you guys. We'll see you Wednesday night.